I will just do this. Uh, hey, everyone, welcome to episode 88, Stolen Velour. Uh, it makes me fish-shaking angry that I didn't think of that title on my own. Uh, that was one I saw floating around Twitter uh, because of Sam Brinton, the Deputy Energy Secretary for Nuclear Biden White House something, she, him, they, there. Um, had a funny incident this week where a local fashion designer, uh, an immigrant of Tanzanian descent, spotted her many, many unique fashions uh, draped around uh, the stiletto-heeled body of Sam Britton. And uh, it was kind of one of those when Twitter is good moments that we haven't had in a while. So there you go. That's the title. I didn't think of it, um, but I'm going to take credit for it on this. Um, we'll just do open AMA. I, I set some topics in the uh, in the subject, of course. Obviously, the weirdest one that happened today is Bride of Fetterman. Upon learning of the news that her husband and father of children uh, was admitted to Walter Reed, self-admitted to Walter Reed over severe depression, decided to get in her car and drive in the opposite direction with the kids for a zipline vacation. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. I'm not speculating on the relationship, but it is weird. And I, I think that that's worth stating. Another interesting aspect is she asked for privacy in this time as her family goes through this. And then she posts all over social media that, hey, we're having the time of our lives up here in Canada while my husband remains uh, hospitalized in D.C. So that was another uh, another fun, strange one that happened. Um, we obviously have the transportation secretary, the affable gay transportation secretary, um, who is not making things better on himself and his political future uh, this week in East Palestine, Ohio. There's a few narratives coming out of that. Uh, one is we saw Donald Trump beat the White House to that community. And uh, it looks very much like they were simply responding to him when uh, Secretary Pete decided, oh, I'll go tomorrow the very next day. And that was an unequivocal optics win for Trump, who then proceeded to walk all over his own dick by bragging about the ratings that he got for it. And as I said on the podcast, um, that is a contrast that voters are most likely going to have to make in a coming primary. And so a lot going on. Uh, I'll leave it kind of open topic. Um, we'll go for probably about an hour or so because it's Friday night. And what the hell. Uh, same rules as apply, just ground rules. Just make sure that if you're not speaking, you mute your microphone. It just makes it easier for the recording. Uh, it helps keep me focused and also just it's easier for the audience to listen. And uh, also, um, just be sure just be sure that we might have people in the queue behind you. Right now we have three, and uh, but feel free. If you haven't jumped up and just uh, said your piece for a while, use this as your soapbox. You can uh, beat me over the head with a stick or what have you if you'd like to lecture me on uh, non-anti-Semitic uh, tweets or jokes regarding whatever uh, a bunch of shithead white supremacists have planned for tomorrow, whatever, feel the need. Uh, but feel free to jump up and uh, join the discussion. So we'll go for probably here uh, for a little bit about an hour, depending on who we have here. So we'll just jump in from Dave in a couple of weeks, so I know he's already locked in the But go ahead, Dave. Hey, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm okay. My, my Twitter mentions are a bit of a garbage fire, and um, I'm, so, I'm somewhat distracted uh, over house hunting and stuff, but I, I'm here. I'm good. It's Friday night. Whatever. Let's go. Cool, man. Well, um, 
break a leg on the house hunt, of course, and I'm sorry about the dumpster fire that is uh, your Twitter mentions. I'm glad I am not involved in that cesspool. I think I'm, 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 I'm a little saner for I it. I don't but, feel like getting into a fight with uh, the Stop Anti-Semitism group tonight, so I just kindly muted that. Thread. Oh, Jesus. All right, well, this, uh, well, this uh, son of Israel, from, uh, son of Abraham from, uh, from South Jersey, has two questions for you. And, uh, and the first one, and I just, I just want you to just give you a chance to sort of address something. The first question, though, you might just say, uh, you know, go to hell. I'm not answering that. Ask me your second question. Totally, you're Depends right. Depends on how many people are in the queue, to be honest. All right, no, but they'll be quick. But, uh, so here's the first one. Um, do you did you did you want to address Steve the whole Fox Dominion thing at all? Um, as far as addressing Fox and Dominion, um, I'm I mean wait and see for for what a verdict is and what happens. Fox got themselves into some into some hot water, obviously, when they were kind of entertaining uh, Donald Trump's election shenanigans, and so. Um, that's a that is a that is a, tr- a case or slash a trial or whatever that you kind of have to wait and see the outcome. Um, now, what I'll say about you know I know that there was explosive text supposedly with Hannity, Ingram, Tucker Carlson, you know, lashing out at Jackie Heinrichs or whatever. And there's a distinct difference at Fox, and as someone who uh, I've been in that building several times, I've obviously been on Gutfeld and whatever. I was a contributor for them for a while. There's a distinct difference between what the news side of Fox does and what the opinion side of Fox does. And you don't have to like it, but they do make an effort to, do, to make a distinction between that. And so you have Tucker Hannity and Laura Ingram kind of going full cowboy and doing whatever they do um, because they're all Trump guys. And they're, they have a very clear agenda as basically opinion hosts. And that's how I view what they do. When you buy a newspaper or when you used to buy a newspaper on a website, you will have a news section and then you will have a clearly labeled opinion section. And uh, basically at night from whatever the hours are, what is it, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., whatever, that is Fox's opinion section. And so um, they, they are responsible for, you know, kind of what their hosts say. And I know that they said basically in court that you can't really take seriously what Tucker Carlson says because he's an entertainer. And I wouldn't completely disagree with that. Tucker himself, you know, he does stories about UFOs and, you know, raccoons on the loose and trash pandas taking over Columbus, Ohio or whatever. So he's not always completely serious. And he knows that everybody in media is watching him. So he baits them and he does that. And so as far as like what is happening with Dominion and as far as what's happening with Fox, that's something that's going to play out. Now, the kind of pearl clutching that's happening that you see through media saying, see, they knowingly lied to their viewers and et cetera, et cetera. Every single one of those networks does the same thing. They just see this as an attack on a competitor and they see this as kind of a notch in the belt. And so that's how I'm viewing the the Fox Dominion stuff. Um, There is a very clear difference at Fox between who Brett Bayer is and who Tucker Carlson is. And I wish the other two networks, CNN and MSNBC, were as clearly upfront about that. You can't tell me who the Brett Bayer is of CNN. Maybe it's Wolf Blitzer. Maybe. You can't tell me who the Brett Bayer is or the Shannon Bream is. Uh, of MSNBC because they just don't have those people. The problem with CNN and MSNBC is they claim their whole network uh, are journalists and anchors. That's what they all do. 
And so when Don Lamont comes on the air, he says, we're not opinion hosts, we're journalists. And when Tan Anderson Cooper kind of says the same thing, and then you have Chris Hayes who believes the same thing, when these guys are just every bit, you know, the partisan vipers that say Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson are. Um, here's what I'm going to say via 2015. Uh, a lot of why I'm not plugged into that is all Lou Dobbs, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingram all have me blocked on Twitter. Got it. I, I, um, Oh, by the way, I'm glad you addressed it. And uh, I, I, uh, for me, it's hard for I don't watch Fox. I don't watch, you know, uh, I think like a lot of your suburbs, uh, one reason we adore you and what you do is uh, we are dubious about uh, about the media. And, yeah, that, that includes Fox. I, I, I do, you know, what I've seen of Brett Baer, I like him. I agree with you. I guess I found it heartbreaking that, uh, you know, I, I, I hate giving the other side ammunition. You know what I mean? And. And so when Fox, even though you could argue that maybe Hannity, although I don't necessarily agree 100 percent with the idea that, hey, you can't take me seriously. I'm an entertainer. I'm not, I'm not sure that excuse flies with like the likes of Tucker Carlson. If you're making assertions with a straight face and it's clearly not satire, it's not like Weekend Update on SNL. I think the the assumption is going to be that people are going to be taking you seriously. And my I don't know much about it, but I, I understand that careers have been lost over there. Because certain people at Fox wouldn't go along with the wouldn't toe the party line, and were about to sort of uh, in, you know expose the fact that they were knowingly promoting falsehoods and they lost their jobs. So I hate the fact that Fox would would go ahead and sort of give the left more ammo. They're they're toxic enough. The left we don't need to sort of load their artillery for them. So that's kind of where I come down. But and I won't even ask my second question. I do. I'm glad you addressed it. Um, love what you're doing, sir, and uh, and keep it up. What was your second one? Oh, it was about a stupid movie called Cocaine Bear and whether you were planning to see it. No. So <laughs> okay. here's my problem. with. I mean, every every year, every couple of years, there's a novelty film like this that comes out. So a, a bunch of years ago, it was Snakes on a Plane. And then it's it's this idea that the movie is dumb and that makes it good, except – Real like movies like that have to be seen and they're almost like passed around as cult hits. Now, this, the thing about Cocaine Bear is supposedly based on a true story. My problem with Cocaine Bear, like my problem with most films today, is the bear looks to just be like 100% bad CGI. Now, I'm not advocating you find a real grizzly bear and, you know, snort him full of cocaine and just film it. And that's not what I'm saying. But there are ways of using a real bear on set. There are bear tamers and there are bear trainers and you can use an actual bear. And so when I saw this trailer, I like the idea, but it is it's great. It's, you know, it's, you know, jaws on cocaine. Um, and I guess I looked at it and I was like, when I saw the trailer, I was like, I was just groaned and I'm like more bad CGI. Um, it's going to be interesting because Elizabeth Banks directed it. She was, um, for anyone who doesn't know, she's an actress. She comes from the Judd Apatow uh, extended tree. And she's also done, she, she tried directing the latest Charlie's Angels reboot. And so that's kind of how I look at it. I'm like, it's good for her that she's kind of cutting her chops on this kind of film because it's kind of like an Apatow style comedy film and so you don't have a lot of female directors that do this and so i guess see how it works out um but literally i i completely fell out of love with the trailer when i saw just like the cgi bear doing things that a bear can't do so it's like they're treating it like it's a cartoon as opposed to like i think that there's a tone that you could strike on this 
And obviously you need CGI for scenes if it's going to be eating someone or whatever. But I, I looked at it and I'm just like, uh, it's a fucking CGI bear. And then when you look at, say, um, The Revenant, where Leonardo DiCaprio was raped by a bear, um, you, you watch that scene and there is so much care that has gone into that scene and and with the CGI of the bear in that, because the, the bear in that is completely CGI, but you're struggling to actually tell just based on the direction. Um, the director just uses natural lighting. So it looks real when it gets like, you know, he zooms the camera in on the bear and it, it fogs up the camera. There's some really cool ways of making you believe that, holy shit, that he's really getting the, you know, he's really getting ripped apart by a bear there. And so I see Cocaine Bear and I'm just like, uh, it just looks like it just looks like bad television CGI. So, no, I probably am not going to drag my ass to the theater to see that one. I'll wait. If reviews are really good, maybe I'll just we'll just, you know, uh, have a night where you just, you take a bottle with you and you go. But uh, no, that one is not on my list. Yeah, my, mine either. I understand I could have this wrong uh, that uh, that Leo and that bear ended up dating for seven months after production wrapped. But. Leo dumped the bear after it turned 27. Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah, it was the bear. The bear just got too old for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, all right, sir. Great work. Talk Cheers. to you later. Thanks, David. We'll just go back. Hello? Yep, you're there. Go ahead. Hey, um, yeah, look. Just on old Petty Boy, um, what I find most, almost amazing about Buttigieg is, yeah, he's a shitty transportation secretary. He doesn't know shit about transport. That's not really surprising. What I found amazing is how bad he is, at, how bad he is at the politics. Like that's the sole reason he went into that gig in the first place, is to look presidential. And if he wasn't going to go, like if you're Pete, and you want to look presidential, as ghoulish as this sounds, like a natural disaster zone is kind of the place you want to do it. Um, so I don't, I don't get why he wasn't there day one, shaking hands, hard hat on, looking presidential, because that's the only reason he's in the gig. So I, I think he, Puda Judge to me is someone who knows that he's kind of a protected class with the media. So I think he knows that he can mostly fuck off at his job and nothing is going to happen to him. And because if it is, he can just scream, you know, uh, anti-gay, whatever. You're only coming after me because I'm sexuality, whatever. And he can do that. And I think that that's what it is. I think the funniest thing about this is that Joe Biden in the primaries, when you saw booted, when Joe Biden's people saw Buttigieg in the threat as one of like the top two or three threats, just out of the blue ran an ad on him, basically saying, when you could have filled potholes, you chose to put lights on the bridges of South Bend to make them look better. And then he goes and he appoints some transportation secretary. And I guess if I'm, if I'm the Republican Party, I'm reminding voters of this every single day with YouTube ads and whatever. And that's that's the problem. They they tried they needed Biden and his team wanted to find a place for him in the administration. They said, you know, what do you think about choo choo trains? And, and Buttigieg is like, I like trains. And you know, he said in his confirmation, he's always been passionate about transportation and whatever. And it turns out he's a completely incompetent person at the job who thought he could kind of just coast his way through while living at the Navy yards and going out. 
Yeah, and if I'm Joe Biden, um, I mean, if I was Joe Biden, I'd be calling him into the office to change my diaper. But if I was Joe Biden, I'd be bringing him in and ripping him to shreds because his one job was to make the politics look good. Um, and and he couldn't even do that. So what, yeah, what is the actual point? Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, you, there is a political element to this, and that's why Trump looked good in doing it. And then Buddha Judge goes there in his vest and his hard hat, and he looks bad doing it. He just looks like he'd never put on a hard hat in his entire life. But here's the thing about Joe Biden bringing him in and dressing him down. This administration, it's run like the person at the top. So if the person at the top is a slow to react, oftentimes confused uh, old man who doesn't move well from place to place, he moves like a senior citizen, that's how the administration is going to act. And so, I mean, this, that's how it is when if the administ- if the person at the top of the administration is a, is an agent of chaos that can just on a whim do this or that, that's how it's going to act. And that's how what that's pretty much how Trump's administration went. And so um, Biden can't really bring him in and dress him down because everything is kind of run from Biden and, you know, Susan Rice and Jeff Zients and those people. So. The reaction as a whole from the Biden administration was horrible. They didn't they didn't react to it at all for days and days and days. And so the transportation secretary thinks I don't have to act on this for days and days and days. And then, you know, I think it was Jim Garrity. It was either Jim Garrity or Noah Rothman in National Review, I think, accurately cited when they said, look, if the media is not going to put pressure on them, they're not going to give a shit about it. It only wasn't until media pressure was starting to get ratcheted up. And this is even after a journalist was arrested. Okay, remember this whole thing, the threat to democracy, and a News Nation uh, journalist was arrested trying to ask questions at an event with a U.S. military general, and they arrested him for it. And so it didn't even really make news until people were like, hey, what's going on here? And I said on my podcast, I like the, I like the analogy somebody made. I don't know if it was Ben Shapiro or whom, said everyone was like at a four-way stop and no one wanted to go first because they knew how bad this was going to look, whether it was the NTSB, um, whether it was uh, the Transportation Department, whether it was the White House, or whether it was DeWine. And nobody wanted to touch this thing because they knew how bad it looked. And so you're right in the sense of Biden would pull him in and go, hey, man, what, what the hell are you doing? Except the, the response to this is just exactly like Biden's response to everything. It's slow. It's delayed. It's unfocused. They, they're kind of waiting to see, you know, how who's tweeting what about it or what have you. And that's the main reason Judge thought I don't have to respond to this shit for over. Almost- yeah, um, look, the, the only other thing I've got is uh, of Fetterman. Uh, I'm now off your. Uh, conspiracy theory that she's going to be the next senator from Pennsylvania, because that tweet, oh boy! You said you're off, you're oh off of that one, or you're uh, on that one? Yeah, no, I'm off it. I was I was on it for a long time, but I don't think there's any way you can make her a senator after finding out she just has left her husband in a random hospital in DC for a good. <laughs> No, it's not rare. It is Walter Reed. It's, you know, it's the place where they take presidents if they have a heart attack or catch COVID or whatever. Um, yeah, it's just weird. She just comes off. I mean, she comes off as kind of like an uncaring sociopath. Now, I'm still giving. I, I don't know why. 
but I'm still kind of given the benefit of the doubt that, you know, I don't know what their relationship is. You don't really know. I saw someone who said, and I, and I'm kind of on board with this one now, just based on what I saw today, that Fetterman just basically, he admitted himself to just get away from everything. So the campaign that's pushing him out there for months and months and months, like he's a fucking circus freak. And, and then his wife is in Braddock or whatever, whatever's happening. He just like said, I need to go somewhere to just get, get away from all of these fucking people. And I think there might be legitimacy to that. And so if that's the case, maybe he didn't want her there. And it's like, just leave me alone. And maybe he's like, okay, fine, I'll leave you alone. And we're going to Canada. She doesn't really come off that way. She comes off like, you know, I'm, I took my kids to Canada and I had a hard talk to them about, what happens when someone you love is in pain? I don't know. Is the right message to be when someone you love is in pain to fucking leave them in the hospital and leave the country? <laughs> that's not the message I'm going to give when someone I care about is in pain. That's, that's a weird one. It's just weird. And I maintain that we still don't know anything about his actual condition. We don't, we don't know if he can actually even understand words that are spoken to him. We don't know. They said that he was malnourished. And we don't know if his brain remembers to tell him that you need to eat food, you giant ass, or you're going to die. We don't know that if he sees food, he knows what it is. He does, we don't know that it, when he picks up a spoon, he knows to use that. To, this is my whole point, is people think I'm exaggerating here, and I'm not. We literally don't know the actual state of his condition because we were lied to by both the media and his campaign for months and months and months. And then the first time a journalist goes, I don't think he can understand what I'm saying. Uh, she gets completely dogpiled uh, to the point where the message by Kara Swisher and others was sent that don't you dare, no other journalist dare ask a question about his mental acuity. And so, I mean, whether she could be the senator or not, I mean, if if Ender when he resigns, and I maintain that probably before the end of March, he's not going to be a senator. Um, you say that there's no way she can do it because of just the optics of this. That, that won't matter. Um, I mean, if Shapiro thinks that this is the best way to placate the media and the activist base, then he might do that. I uh, Shapiro is more of an establishment guy, so he might appoint, you know, a more traditional candidate. Um, but you are going to see a very real push um, to nominate her. And one of the reasons why the media is going to push that is it's the look how mad she makes the political right. Um, I didn't see people mad today, like, but this whole thing where she says respect our privacy and then she goes to Canada and puts it all over social media. Like she didn't have to do that. If you were like grieving or if you're stressed or you're under duress with your kids, then you don't have to use, you don't have to post anything. You could have just gone there, gotten away from everything and come back and no one would have known you were gone. But she chose not to do that. She chose to broadcast to the world where she was, what she was doing and what a great time we were having while my fucking husband is under, you know, supervision for possibly suicide. And so, yeah, she looks like a goddamn sociopath. That's what she looks like. But do you think the media, which is filled with sociopaths themselves, they don't care about that. All they care about is that she makes the right mad. And um, if she gets in there, you know, you're going to have Mark Spain and a few others looking over their shoulders. Yeah, all I'm saying is the attack ad, she abandoned her husband at his darkest hour. 
what will she do to you? Yeah, I mean, there won't really, there really wouldn't be an attack ad because she would just, she would finish out his six-year term. Um, and so, yeah, she ran for re-election, but that's six years from now. No one's gonna, no one's gonna kind of remember this. Um, so that that's the thing with him resigning this early, if he chooses to do it, is um she's in there for she's she's in there for basically the entire term and so maybe then there's an attack ad but who knows where you are in six years if if he is even alive you don't even know but yeah it's it just looks it's nothing to get like outraged over but it looks fucking weird that's the only thing it is it's you know she learns her husband just admitted himself to the hospital and her first thought is i have to get the hell out of here (laughs) And she claims it's because there were media trucks circling her block. Well, this is the first time Giselle Fetterman has ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's just sad. It's just sad. But I'll leave you to it. Cheers, Ben. Thanks. The Living. Hi. Good night, everyone. How are we, Craig? Everyone, Craig just got his Twitter account back. Do you want to tell everyone? Yes. Do you want to tell everyone, what, you, the, the, you tell everyone know, what got you suspended in the first place, Craig? Well, I, I just want everyone. Everyone had to have felt that deja vu, matrix setting like event when my account came back online. So what happened? <laughs> no. Did you get? A, did you get what a happened email? was this: did you get an email notice, or did you did you apply appeal for? Because there's a few people who have gotten their long term accounts restored. Yeah, um, no. I'm curious I, about I, how that happened. Did you just try to log in and you could, or did you get a notice saying you're out of jail? Uh, if I did get a notice in the mess of my emails, it's probably there and just lost. But um, I, I would just jump on every once in a while to see. And I did fill out probably about five or six appeals. And, you know, I'd heard all, everywhere else, like, oh, sometimes they fall in the wrong hands and still old guard still there you know because they are <laughs> i don't know how much he's cleaned out yet or not but um just logged on and it said instead of my account saying you are you're permanently fucked and there's no picture no nothing this is blank and you're gone it said your account was locked and hey here's the tweet finally i get to see what it was because for two and a half years i was just speculating and, and just you know rem- remember the events of what I was happening, who I was engaging, and I was engaging a Jeffrey Tubin fan. <laughs> and I had said that Jeffrey Tubin is a homunculus mongoloid that deserved to get fired. Well, that was it. He, he definitely reported, or she reported that, and I was gone. That's pretty um, tame. Yeah, because I know there's a lot worse things to be said, but I have to remember, this was right before the election, and they were going after anyone that criticized any leftist. <laughs> I swear to God, it seemed like it was just a cavalcade of small councils getting erased. Just get rid of them, get them, shut them up, stop talking. And for two and a half years, I kind of guessed it was, and it was it made me giggle when I finally saw it pop up there. And sure enough, you know, the, the deal was delete this and you're back on. Fuck it. Whatever. You're back on. So, um, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm okay. I'm fighting, accus- I'm fighting accusations <laughs> of rabid anti-Semitism. <laughs> Yeah, I saw one of your fans happen to uh, get a little bit, well, I guess not a fan, but or even a follower, but um, got a little uptight there with, without having any kind yeah, of I knew, angle I on knew, your humor. I knew what the National Day of Hate is. 
um, I just kind of did my like just a Larry David act of you know maybe this yeah. would be great if we just like <laughs> like everyone everyone could participate in a national day of pain where everyone just gets out their minor annoyances. Yeah, and then I start getting tweets about it, whatever, and I'm just kind of like, well, one, I don't apologize for Twitter jokes. Um, there's actual anti-Semitism in the world that I think you need to be worried about. Two, um, no one, no one is going to ever think that I'm an anti-Semite or a white supremacist. Um, I've had people kind of in my DMs saying it and whatever, and it's not the it's not the biggest thing. But there's a reason why the stopantisemitism.org, they screenshot of the tweet as opposed to linking to it. One, I don't delete tweets for content. I'll delete tweets for typos. Um, mm. I auto-delete tweets after a year or so. Um, sure. what's funny is I have, I have some, I have a couple of people. So I've been reported to the FBI today. Um, I've, I've been reported to Twitter today. I have people going through my, my history and I know, I know they're using keywords. So like, I know they're searching the word Israel, for example. Well, good luck finding me disparaging them. Yeah, um, no I saw somebody favorited somebody went through and favorited a bunch of tweets so now i'm like all right here we go someone's you know doing this to do something i'm probably gonna end up on medium matters or whatever which wouldn't be the first time um but anyone who read the thread knows that i'm not talking about jews i'm not talking about anti-semitism i'm talking about um we should all be celebrating things we hate and it should be and it should be a national holiday so one of the tweets, one of these person is going through and uh, favoriting, and I like this one. Is this is when <laughs> this is when Israel took out the building with the AP headquarters in it? Yeah, yeah. He said Israel took out a building that was used by shameless propagandists who want to see Israel wiped off the map. Hamas was in that building also, and so <laughs> like I guess good luck trying to paint me as an anti-Semite, that's fine. I just don't. That was a really good one too. I don't really want to fight with stop anti-Semitism or like the ADL when I know that it's kind of a stressful day coming up. The other thing Mm. is, is I I look at this as kind of a troll because like neo-Nazis don't announce their actions before they do it. And so they're doing this over, it's a play of Broadway where a Jew is hung and lynched. And this is what they're supposedly trying to shut down or whatever, but I'm fully now expecting a mass shooting to happen tomorrow and getting blamed for it. That's where oh, I'm geez. So I'm, I'm, pre- I'm preparing for that. But like I said, anybody who knows the context of what I was tweeting, I wasn't tweeting anti-Semitic things. I wasn't tweeting about Jews. Um, I can never really ever be accused of uh, being an anti-Semite. So I'm not worried about it, but it's been one of those garbage fire days. So whatever. I brought it on myself. Uh, you can argue it was in poor taste, uh, but I 100% reject the notion that I'm being an anti-Semite. And I thought I was the troublemaker calling Jeffrey Tubin a homunculus mongoloid. Jesus. Well, but you, you actually you actually <laughs> insulted an actual Jew. I didn't do that. I I know I know. Well, I mean, you know, at the time, you know, it was happening. It was when the whole the whole event went down, and he's you know, Zubin his way around CNN. Um, yeah, it apparently still so, takes a lot. I, 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 takes a lot to get fired over there these days. No shit, man. <laughs> so everyone's like, "Get rid of Dom." And I'm like, "No, it won't matter." Okay, they'll do it for show. He'll be back in five, eight months. <laughs> you know what the fuck is the point? Stop, stop trying to make hollers for that. Let him stay on there and let him just keep shoving that foot further down his mouth, and it's just comedy at that point. You just have to take it like that. But I do want to uh, talk about one little uh, 
Freudian slippage of our press secretary um, with the name drop of Obama as our current president. And uh, just a reminder that if you had any delusions, this wasn't the third Obama administration. Well, that might have cleared it up a little bit. I, I understand that there may be some different things going on, but boy, it's still just a shit show. I think one thing that has to be understood is that Barack Obama doesn't like Joe Biden very much, and he never really has. Oh, I get Joe, that. I, Joe, I never. Joe that was Biden a... created several headaches for him during his oh, presidency, yes. and so I, I'm interested about the reaction. There is a very, there is a very clear cut of Obama people and Biden people. Now, Ben LeBolt, who used to be an Obama communications advisor, just now joined the Biden White House, so they do share people. Obviously, Jen Psaki. Mm-hmm. Susan Rice and a few others, but there is a clear divide between Biden people and like, for instance, Jeff Zients is not really an Obama guy, for instance. I get that. Um, but what's interesting is you have Kareem Jean-Pierre up there bragging that they are the most diverse cabinet in U.S. history. And that's when you really have to wonder what Obama's thinking, like, go fuck yourself, you know, like, <laughs> like, really, like. One of the yeah, no, that, that was a separate language, part of that whole speech, you know, and I remember that. That was that was hilarious, just running through the list. It's like, oh, this is definitely the whole checkbox thing going well, on. But it's more than that because she and we're first. Says that, people, histor- that history thing about that. There's an obsession, and and you, it has to be obvious. We're first. We're the first ones who did it. It's like, well, you know, yeah, but you know, it's interesting. It's a trivia question in a few years at a fucking bar. Another interesting thing about this is Richard Grinnell was the first openly gay appointed cabinet secretary. And what you see Mm -hmm. when Pete Buttigieg was announced, you saw Jake Tapper and others say he's the first confirmed openly gay person. And so they're they're kind of taking away these first. And what was interesting about Karine Jean-Pierre in that is that she said she runs down the list of, you know, we have the first openly LGBTQ. She also said people who racially identify as black. And that's one where I talked about on the podcast this week where I'm like, wait, what? Who in the who in the who in the Biden administration racially identifies as something and perhaps they aren't? Because that to me is interesting. That's newsworthy. And so I listened to this and I'm kind of like, I told you this is where it is going to go. It's going to be to explain that, you know, I too am black. I experienced the blackness of my brothers and sisters, but you're white. No, no, no. I identify as black. That is where, that is the natural end of where this is going. Because the whole point of this gender identification is to essentially erase the differences of the sexes. You're trying to erase the differences, the biological and cultural differences of what a male is and what a female is. So you basically just have all of these, I don't know, uh, non-gendered, asexual, uh, androgynous drones in society. I don't know. And so the natural next step of that is it's going to have to go through, where else can we, uh, erase certain characteristics that make people different. Aha, we can do it with race. And then you can say, well, actually, you know, um, if you if you are of the Asian race, you actually don't look different or a certain way. We all look the same. And if you're uh, African-American or if you're of black ethnicity, um, you, you still look the same. So we can all just identify as one big glob. Well, it's just that, like rent. That, just, that is just... ultimately the goal here. When you, when you understand... <laughs> The goal is to make everybody kind of lower and equal. 
you have to start erasing individual traits of people. It starts with, you know, the nuts and bolts between your legs. It's, and then it's, it's going to progress to other things because that's the only way they can truly erase it. Oh, yeah, it's like what, what Renton said. In the future, there won't be any women or men, just wankers. You know, and the same thing applies. There won't be any black or white or yellow or red, just a bunch of wankers. <laughs> pretty you much. Know? That's pretty much the goal. Uh, but listen, I want to finish. Uh, have you seen any good live music up there lately? Uh, the last live show I saw was The National. They came through okay. on kind of like a brief tour. Uh, in my neck of the woods, I have the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs coming in June. Sweet. Um, I saw the uh, Yaz, they did like a, a brief two show, uh, thing four or five years ago, uh, to introduce a documentary at the King's theater in Brooklyn, which is where they're from. And so mm -hmm. I couldn't pass that up. I basically sold a kidney to go to that show. And so, I, I could imagine. um, I may, I may try to get to see them again. Uh, and I, I don't know. And then I know that the nationals coming back, but I haven't really been paying too close of attentions. Uh, I wanted to see Barty Strange, and I missed him. Uh, I wanted to see Orville Pack, and I missed him. Okay. And so that's kind of the other thing is I'm really into a, right now, I'm in a kind of indie uh, country, independent country singer style mode right now. I'm listening to a lot of that okay. for some reason. It's just kind of the mode I'm in, just kind of the... Um, like example, uh, like Margot Price or. Um, well, let me see here. Was well, sorry, I just I thought I thought I heard my cat having a seizure. Oh no! Um, the last okay. the album that I was just the album I was just listening to today was Benjamin Todd, which was songs I swore I'd never sing. Um, I think I've heard that. I heard about that. So Good? and then there's also there's you know there's Britt Tyler, there's Luke Grimes, there's Forty Nine Winchester, uh, there's. Uh, what is it? Something truckers. I forgot their name. Truckers. Drive by uh, truckers. Yeah. William Beckman. And so I'm just, I'm getting into a lot of this kind of okay, in, cool. indie folk kind of Sturgill Simpson style country indie. Right music. Yeah. So cool. anyway. Yeah. All right, bud. Do you have a good one? Good to hear Brian, from you. Glad you're back, Craig. Behave yourself. <laughs> I'll try. Um, Joseph off. You can just mute. You can mute your mic, Craig. Joseph, long time no see. How are you? What's on your mind? Oh, what's up, Kanye? <laughs> that was the next thing I saw today. I'm just like, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get me kicked off Substack, and they're gonna they're gonna pretty much go out. They're not gonna do that. The thing yeah. I've learned is you just say you, you give them your explanation, you move on. I've muted the thread, um, so I don't know. I was fairly. I was fairly explanatory over my intentions of it, and I think most people got it. Um, I can understand the sensitivity, but that, I mean, obviously that wasn't the context or the intention of my joke. So if they want to carry this on beyond now, it's it's out of my hands. Yeah, that page was always uh, finicky, but um, I guess my question is, uh, in relation to the general topic, is that with the recent, like, booming of sales with Hogwarts Legacy, do you think sort of the, the quote-unquote cancel culture is not a real crowd tends to mix it up with the Streisand effect where people just try to like censor, like bash this kind of like piece of culture or like say like a famous actor, writer 
or director or whatever, and then like once people like kind of get wind of the controversy, they're like, "Well, let me see, check this out," and it just like booms into popularity. I think it's. I think that there's two things at work here. I think that P- Harry Potter has a very large cultural following, uh-huh. and I think that the online bullhorns behind the <laughs> J.K. Rowling anti-trans things are not as loud as they think they are. Um, and, and you know that because these accusations of J.K. Rowling have been going back years, and they're still making like Fantastic Beast films. Okay, like the studios know this. They know. Um, while they may have to address it or something, they know where the money is and they know that most of it lies with the property and the intellectual property and not a very vocal minority on Twitter. And so do I think that possibly a tide is turning to where say media companies, whether it's gaming or film or books are turning away from what's happening on Twitter? Maybe I think it, it looks that way because Twitter's just lost its influence. And also it's also run by a white supremacist now also. Um, so I think there's two things. I think one is that there's a lot of people that just don't care. They, they might see something in passing in a news story and they don't fucking care. Um, and they buy the stupid Harry Potter game for their 17 year old to shut them up and leave them alone. Um, I think another part of it is that there is kind of a, why is everyone talking about this very non-controversial thing? There's nothing really controversial about Harry Potter. Okay. There is what people try to make of it because there, there's a lot of hope for, for, say, activists online to bring someone of J.K. Rowling's stature crumbling down. And I think that's most of it. It's, you know, there, it's, it's a bunch of, you know, natives with spears trying to take down the saber-toothed tiger. And that's, you know, great. I just made another colored joke. Um, but there is a lot of pride in that, that if we can, if we can somehow get the most famous, powerful author in the world right now to bend her knee, we're going to have a victory, except they know that they don't because they'll just move on to the next one. Um, but I think that that's how it, they, a lot of people look at this thing and they go, what the hell are they so upset over the goddamn child wizard game for? And then, so I think that that's part of the other part of it is, so yeah, there, I think there is a bit of a Streisand effect. So I bought the stupid Harry Potter game. I didn't do it because of support of J.K. Rowling. I didn't do. It. I just I read about it and I was like, okay, this isn't really my style of game, but I'll try it. Sure. And as it turns out, I'm not really interested in it. I played ten to fifteen minutes of it, and I'm just kind of like, eh, all right. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think mostly it's the megaphone that these people hold is outsized by the importance that media puts on them when mostly people are just going to buy something that gets good reviews, looks fun and can eat up a few hours of time. And I really do think that that's most of it. Um, I, I don't, I mean, is, is there definitely a Streisand effect with it? Yeah. But I don't think that that explains how it outsold, Uh, all of the Fantastic Beast films in the same amount of time. I don't think that that alone explains it. There aren't aren't millions of people running out to buy this game who are just anti-trans bigots trying to support J.K. Rowling. I think that it's genuinely, one, it's a large release. It had a lot of media behind it. It had a lot of reviewers behind it. It's gotten mostly good reviews. And especially on next-gen, next-gen games that are kind of made for next-gen, there isn't like 50 of them released. There's only, you know, four or five of them. 
excuse me, released in a year. And so this is kind of one of those games. This is probably the biggest advertised game released since Elden Ring. And so that's another part of it. It's just, it's a reliable property. So people love the Harry Potter. So it's like, I'm going to go play this. I want to go, I'm going to go join this house and I'm going to go design this character or whatever. And I think for the most part, um, what's interesting to me is video game playing is such kind of a passive pastime. So it's not something that you go out to and show your public support for. It's generally something, and some people will do it online with friends, but it's generally something done in private, in the privacy of your own home or whatever. And it's, it's, you're not going to have like activists breaking down your door, coming in and going, why are you playing that? And so I think that that's another part of it. Go ahead. Nope, still here. Yeah, go ahead. No, um, I guess like I'll add one more thing. I, w- I would even say like not even like the whole like going back to like, the J.K. Rowling thing. I would say like sort of the recent discourse that happened last month with like Louis C.K. when he sold out Madison Square Garden. People were like, "Oh my God, this is proof that cancel culture is not real." Louis C.K. was never canceled to begin with. When in reality, that was all a damn lie. Because Louis C.K. pretty much, like, lost everything, which, in a certain way, I, you can understand, like, why, like, certain companies and stuff, like, made the, the stances they did, and given the whole re- revelations with him, and that lost his, like, television show. But then, like, a year or so later, he comes back to stand-up, and then, two years afterwards, he releases an album that, like, wins a Grammy. And the same, and and the so, same like, thing happens with Chappelle. Ultimately... You know, you know what matters is is Louis does Louis C.K. still make people laugh? Yeah, that's really it. And yeah, the, the other thing is Louis C.K. has always admitted he's a scumbag, and I'm not saying that that's an excuse for kind of his behavior. Um, but he's always the kind of guy who's always kind of admitted, yeah, I'm a horrible person. That, him being a horrible person is the entire kind of drive behind his uh, comedy. So. Um, I think that that has a lot to do with it. It's like, yeah, you're a piece of shit human being. We know. And so, but also there is a side to people where they are piece of shit human beings. And the reason comedians exist is to go out there and say things that we know we can't get away with saying in our lives and in our jobs. And that's ultimately. Yeah, that's 100% true. Well, I hope you have fun with, uh... With your mentions this weekend, and hopefully enjoy yeah. the National Day of Hate tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm, I'm just. I know I'm gonna fucking wake up, and like, <laughs> some some skinhead asshole is gonna have like punched a Hasidic, and I'm gonna get blamed for it. But whatever, <laughs> just yeah. how it goes. All right, thank you, boss man. All right, man, Joseph. Uh, I think we can probably get through everyone here. Julia, Craig, Bruce. Uh, we'll probably cut it off with Bruce. Hi, Stephen. Uh, thanks for the mic tonight. Uh, first, I wanted to thank hey, you real, for uh, real, recommending. Real fast. Somebody, I think it might be Craig. Can you mute your microphone back there? I think your mic is still on after you got done speaking. I don't want to have to boot him, but I might. But go ahead. Yeah, I uh, wanted to thank you for your recommendation of uh, Long Lost by Lord Huron last year. I burned a lot of cigars and a lot of uh, brown liquor to that. So Yeah, it's that kind of album. Everyone makes shits on it because Lord Huron is kind of like the new Coachella-style indie group, but they're fucking good, okay? I think the album is great. I think it's inspired by some really cool retro stuff. 
uh, and I, I really enjoy it. So thanks for that. Um, I have two questions for you tonight. The first one is, isn't too controversial. Uh, the second one is a little more controversial. Um, the first one is, do you think that um, Ron DeSantis's media team is a little too online? Uh, I was listening to Pod Horitz today, and he was expressing some concerns that Christina Pushaw and their team is a little bit too uh, like online focused, and uh, I'm wondering if that could be a, a liability going forward for him. Um, possibly. Give me one second, Losper. I'm trying to find the, the source of this noise. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm trying. This is dumb. Hey, Craig. If somebody who's ever driving and he like roll your window up, please. All right. Um, I'm. There we go. <laughs> I'm gonna have to unban him. Um, do I? So <laughs> sorry. So the question was basically. Sorry for that, everyone. So basically, the question for that is, do I think that Ron DeSantis' team is too online and it could become a detriment to him in the future? Is that is that pretty much Yeah, what yeah. It's kind of like uh, the way people were praising Joe Biden in his, are you, in his efforts for being are not you too online. Because, well, let me start with this. Are you asking because you think it's a detriment? No, I'm asking because I'm genuinely curious about your point of view, because um, I think that um, there's an extent to which people believe Biden was partially successful by not playing to that audience and that Pod Horitz thinks uh, that it's possible it might be hurting DeSantis. And uh, I just, I, I really don't know the, the right answer to that because I, I believe being really online, I think Peshaw is great, right? Uh, I think being really online is, could be one dimension of a multi-dimensional strategy. Uh, I just think that um, there's some risks associated with getting all of your inputs from, from that crowd, you know? So let, let me let me put it to you this way. So this past week, Nikki Haley announced her president, right? Yep. And almost immediately, there was uh, this kind of race angle that got that they hit her with. Jameel Hill and others basically said, you know, why are you going by Nikki? Why why did you shorten your name if America is not racist country? Right. We saw all of this happen. Right. Yeah, I, I saw every every every, every beat of it. Right. So did you see anyone from Nikki Haley's team pushing back on any of that? No, and I thought it sucked. And that to me is that should that should to me at least answer the question. Now, do you need five people on Twitter to do things? Maybe sometimes um, I, I think DeSantis has a very big target on his back. And I think he's employing a strategy that both Biden and I think even Obama employed, which is I'm going to stay up here. I'm going to kind of hover above all of this nonsense. And down here, I'm going to have two or three pit bulls that are going to take care of all of this shit for mm -hmm. me. Uh, well, because while I'm over here focused on this stuff, you guys go and you handle this bullshit. And because if you notice, he doesn't really ever tweet or weigh in on anything. He just right. kind of does his thing. And then he has attack dogs to kind of do the thing for him. That is a strategy that basically Barack Obama employed where, you know, he didn't he just acted like he was oblivious to it all. And then, you know, he had attack watch and truth team and, and all mm. these things just constantly hammering away at whatever uh, Republicans or Fox or whomever was was saying. And so I think that that's part of it. Um do I think that you should obsess over, say, what's on Twitter? 
with seven people. Not necessarily, but I do think you should have at least two people that are pretty much monitoring what is being said in real time so you can snuff it out in real time. Yeah. And I think there's real value to that. And that's my whole point with the Nikki Haley thing, which one of the complaints with Nikki Haley, she's just, you know, she's kind of milk toast. She feels like an old school you know, peacetime conservative who, you know, maybe is, doesn't understand this moment, whatever. And almost instantly, you know, granted, I mean, she almost got Don Lemon fired. Well, I'm going to just say she probably in the long run will get Don Lemon fired ultimately, because this is the strike that they're not going to come back from. Um, but there really wasn't any, any response from her to members of like the Atlantic. I'm not talking about asshole rando Twitter. I'm talking about people like Jamil Hill. Right. I'm talking about people from MSNBC. I'm talking about people from networks who very, you know, went out there and went, why do you go by Nikki? Eh. And she didn't have anyone or two or three people that we all know. The fact that you can even name Christina Peshaw, like the fact that, what is there? There's right now 70 people in this room. There were 72, but that person crashed. Um, there's 70 people in this room. And if I say, and if I ask any of them, who is Christina Peshaw, the fact that you know who a governor's press secretary is because she's way too online, that's, that's telling something that's saying something. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked you, did you, could you, could you name the social media team for Nikki Haley? That was like, really like drawing back at Jamil Hill with this. And I'm talking both cleverness. I'm talking, not like just correcting it. I'm talking about like, Hey, Jamil, you're the actual racist here. Like that's yeah. been the response. Yeah. Turning and, it back and turning it back and turning it into an asset. In, in some right. Way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, my, it's funny cause I do talk to Bashaw once in a while and I always call her troublemaker um, <laughs> because that, that's, that's what it is. Not a whole, not a ton, just once in a while. Um, and um, I, that's kind of how I approach it. I'm like, how's it going, troublemaker? Um, because that's kind of what her job is to do, is to just cause trouble with the people. And, you know, there's Griffin and there's obviously Redfern. And there's, there's, yeah. a, whole, there's a whole host of these people that you know. You see, obviously, I know them because I'm in media. But, like, you guys, you know them. You see them. You see their presence. You see them get retweeted because of, the, you know, what they're saying and how they're saying it. And the fact that you even know who these people are is a testament to how they're doing their job. So that's why I was like, that's what I said. And the only reason I I wasn't putting you on the spot, but that's one of the things is I didn't see anyone from like Nikki Haley's campaign doing what those people do on a daily basis. And I'm kind of like, that kind of sums up why, you know, Haley might struggle gaining traction. Now, not every fight is on Twitter and not every, you know, not every voters on Twitter, not every, but this is how these things take hold. This whole thing with her middle name, this has been going on for two years, two to three to four to five years. And right now you have to assume that it's malicious if it's still happening. If a writer from the Atlantic, a tentpole writer for the Atlantic is still out here saying, why do you go by your white girl name? You have to either one, assume that that hasn't been snuffed out yet, or it's on purpose. Yeah. And so if Nikki Haley's team was smart, they would cut an ad on this right now. And they, they, they could do it different ways. They could highlight it. They could do it humorously, whatever. But if you notice that whole, that whole thing came and went and they didn't say shit about it. Now, Nikki Haley herself is out there raising money. She's in New Hampshire. She's in Iowa. She's giving speeches. She's doing that because that's what she needs to be doing right now. If she wants to have any hope of staying in this race past the first two to three primaries. But this is my point is you should, 
Republicans and the right and people who work on campaigns should be able to find those people and hire them and say, that's your job. Your job is to just basically stay on fucking Twitter all day and hit back against this stuff. And, yeah. and therefore, we don't worry about it. Yeah. And so do I think it's a detriment? I don't really unless they do it stupidly and they come off dumb like Trump's people are by, you know, trying to make, you know, certain pundits on the right look even better in guyliner. Um, if they're bad at it, it's done. If they're good at it, they're not. And DeSantis's team appears to be very good. Yeah, it was a good conversation with uh, with Pod and the full compliment today. So I, I was really interested in hearing your perspective on it. Here, here's the controversial uh, question I wanted to ask: the Biden administration's uh, response to the uh, the East uh, Palestine uh, thing has been slow plotting, just the way you articulated it. Uh, one could say that's because Joe is, is slow in plotting and useless. The other thing you could say is that maybe they intentionally did that to give Trump an opening to elevate him. What do you think? Uh, I don't I don't see that because I think I think Joe Biden thinks that he's going to end up running against Trump. Um, I don't. I don't think a president sits there and goes, let's not let's not go to East Palestine where these people are suffering from a chemical, uh, you know, a chemical explosion that could be hurting all of their kids. Um, let's let Trump go there first. I don't think that they sit around doing that. But here, here's my thinking, Steve. Steve, here's my thinking on it. I live I live in Ohio. I live in one of the one of the redder counties in central Ohio and um, nowhere near East Palestine. And I, I looked up the stats on the on who you know who won in 2020 in that county and it was 70 percent trump uh 78 trump and like 22 percent biden and my sense is that unless biden did a hugely scripted uh visit there that was basically in like a union hall or something like that the cheers of let's go brandon would have been overwhelming and i'm just thinking that maybe he said let's 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 give this to trump it'll elevate him on the right and we'll get the candidate we want in the end because this could help them. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I, I don't see that. I do agree that Biden doesn't see any anything to gain politically by going there. Was, you know, yeah. the media is running with this. I just retweeted that. Even now, Reuters is reporting that he's not going. And now his team will measure the response to this and they'll see. But um, it's like I said, obviously, if this train derailment happened like outside of Baltimore, we know we know that the response would be different. That that's yeah. we know for a yeah. fact that this this would not have gone the way it did. Um, so there, I think you're right. The politics obviously are right. I think they look at this and they go, "We have nothing to gain by doing this." Um, but do I think that they calculated, you know, let Trump go? No, and I'll tell you why. Because there was a three day period where this happened. On the first day, Pete Buttigieg was asked when do you plan on going? And he said, when the time is right, the next day Trump shows up with pallets of bottled water. And the day after that is when Pete Buttigieg visited. Yeah. That is them saying, fuck, like we just gave Trump an optics win because they may want Trump to get the nomination. And I think that that's true. And you're going to see a, you're going to see a concerted effort for that to happen. Um, but you don't want to give Trump an optics win. Now, it's not necessarily Ohio. Ohio is a solid red state now. Let's not yeah. make any mistakes about that. Yep. So the optics are he doesn't Biden doesn't care about people not in Ohio, 
it's that people in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan are watching Biden's response. Yeah. Towns where trains like this run all the way through that Rust Belt. And so that's why I don't think that they had just said, hey, let's let Trump go and let's give him the win and the optics win and whatever, because like literally Trump shows up there and he says, he says the line, I'm you are not forgotten people. And that is where Trump won the optics war, because the very next day, Pete Buttigieg shows up and goes, "Eh, I also don't think you're forgotten. (laughs) And, And that's how I know. That's how I know that. The Biden administration dragged their feet on this one because I think that they didn't think it was going to be an issue. It's just like a train derailment. And, you know, hey, this happens all the time, like Pete Buttigieg said. But the the difference is is you can't ignore polluted creeks and you can't ignore photos of a fucking mushroom cloud above a United States town. Yeah. Well, two more more points. The first first point is that uh, I've become a lot more Machiavellian in my thinking about this, partly, partly from listening to you because of the level of elevation. Uh, they gave Trump uh, the last time intentionally so that they thought they could beat him. And I think he's even more beatable this time because of uh, uh, all the stuff that happened at the end of the last election. But um, I, I have become kind of Machiavellian about thinking about all the ways in which they might elevate Trump to get him as, as a candidate. The I second think- thing the second thing is, is that I had a number of people contact me to ask me if I was OK. Um, and I never, ever expected to that. So this had a pretty big reach. Um, and, um, I, I mean, it's not like I marked myself safe from Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> <laughs> but I had people contacting me asking if I was okay. And I said, look, this is, this is blowing over Pennsylvania right now. And, um, I, I'm in central Ohio, just, just waiting for the fallout to be, you know, and it's all political. Yeah. I mean, an- another interesting thing is people don't want to go here, but you had J.D. Vance, Ohio Senator on the ground in East Palestine, and in the meantime, Pennsylvania Senator is currently hospitalized. Yeah. So, no, I, I don't think that this was a case of elevating Trump. You are definitely going to see it, and you should know it when you see it. Um, but th- this, to me, was the Biden administration thinking, this isn't our problem, it's a local issue, it's a state issue, um, to, oh, holy shit, this is the actual NTSB, to, holy shit, uh, our transportation secretary is once again on family leave to, hey, holy shit, it's starting to look like Joe Biden cares about uh, Ukraine more than Ohio. Yeah. And as I said, that is those are the optics Joe Biden runs into. To me, as I said, you've seen you've seen a clear escalation um, with Biden's public statements with Ukraine and obviously going to Ukraine and then Poland in a speech. And because it's the one year anniversary, that's fucking weird to me, by the way, they're marking the one an- one year anniversary of a foreign war like that's and they're not marking it like this is a, they're doing like they're doing like a parade with it. They're like, this is the one year anniversary of this thing that we're all in. And as I said, the, the problem that Biden runs into is it when he goes looking like he's all in with defeating Russia in Ukraine, which I agree is something that needs to happen one way or the other, um, he runs the risk of looking like he cares more about Ukraine than he does these forgotten towns and cities. And that is how Trump walked into the Oval Office, you know, six years ago. He did it by being the guy who spoke for that forgotten man during the Obama years when fentanyl was fucking killing everybody around the Rust Belt and Virginia over the recession, the slowest recovery in, you know, our nation's history from a recession, Obama and the media are out here spiking the football 
in the meantime, the whole party just cratered out from under him and people became disenfranchised. And buddy, I'm going to tell you, our media is sitting here saying there's no way. January 6th and the lunatic tweets and the rigged election shit, there's no way we're going to send this guy back to the Oval Office. Watch them. Watch them do it. And that's kind of what I would have to say. So no, I don't think they elevated him. I think the Biden administration was bad to react to this. Um, Trump saw an opening. Trump's not a governor anywhere, so he can he can go fucking do whatever he wants. Trump's technically yeah. unemployed. He can go do whatever he wants. And his people wisely saw an opening and said, I'm going to fucking Palestine, Ohio. And I'm going to tell them they're not forgotten. And that one stung because the very next day, Pete Buttigieg shows up. And yeah. I think that that tells you everything. That's, and then, of course, I, I Trump, think you're goes, right. Trump goes and, like, sticks his fucking foot in his mouth again, which is what he does. Look, congratulations on a, a successful transition to uh, the Substack. It's been awesome. Uh, thanks for everything. Yeah, it's it's mostly successful. Um, you know, I'm tr- I'm trying to figure out like, you know, things to do more and whatever like that. And my month my monthly take home is a little bit below what it is, but I'm sure that that's going to catch up. So I'm not too worried about it. But thanks. Um, we'll go Julia Bruce. Eric, I'm going to boot you uh, just for short on time. Um, but if you jump in next week, I'll make sure to bump you. Oh, shit. Did I just did I did I just bump? Did I just boot Eric? Oh, there's Craig. Go ahead, Craig. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Um, honestly, called in just to correct the record a little bit. So I am... Um, I forget what what's his name was saying about where he falls on when Fetterman retires, but it's definitely going to be his wife because Pennsylvania is one of the 30 some odd states that uh, governor appointments only last until the next statewide election. So whoever they nominate is going to be up again in two years. Okay, so I said six years and they would be up in the special election in two. Right. Okay. And then you think that Shapiro would just have her fill the seat until then, but she would most likely yeah. run again then, right? The, the, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you can say if he nominates her, why why wouldn't she run? But then she has to convince people like, oh, no, my husband's, my husband's a vegetable. My kids don't have the parents. I want to go be a senator. You should elect me. Right? Um, I, I think... I think if she's appointed to the seat and if, you know, if she ends up, I mean, that this is not a nothing. This is a United States senator. I mean, right. this is there's only two from each state. So um, it, it wields an enormous amount of power. And if someone is appointed into that seat, I don't know how you don't run again. And I think that the media really sees that this is a position of power. And that's why, you know, maybe Shapiro does it, maybe he doesn't, but you're going to see a push from activists. You're going to see it on Twitter. You're going to see it online. You're going to see it in the media to to put her in that seat. One, it's the only way to honor him. Um, two, she's the one that would know his positions. The, like, I'm making the arguments, like, what? How, right. how would they do this? So it's one, she's the closest one to him, and the people of Pennsylvania chose him, so you keep it within the family, Two, she's the one that understands him the most. So you want someone that is still representing their interests uh, along the closest lines of John Fetterman 
previous prior to a stroke. Two, she's hip, she's cute. The media loves her. She's cool. Um, she's young. And then three, it's look how fucking mad she makes the political right. Those are all the things going for her. Now, the things against her are obviously no experience. Two, a vanity candidate. Three, it's still an empty seat. Um, she has, again, no experience in politics or policy or whatever. So those are the things uh, I would see against. But the thing is, you know, back to your original point, once you're in that seat and you wield that kind of power, I have no idea why you would just give it up in two years unless you're polling. She is so atrocious at her job, which is possible, uh, where the polling is so bad that they don't have a. In which case, they just run John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they already elected vegetable once. What's the difference they can make? Yeah. So, well, yeah, thank you for correcting that six year. I, I, I thought it would be a six year term, but um, I'll, I'll go for I'll, I'm going to take your word on this. That is so she'd be up for two years. Um, but again, that's, it's such a position of power. I don't see why you would just, you know, sit in the seat for two years and then say, now I'm going home and taking care of my husband when she's done literally nothing under the impression that she cares for him. Yeah, but she she can go be the next whatever on whatever talk show. She can go make a bunch of money, not have to actually do anything just by going and sitting in that chair for two years. I, I don't Maybe. know. Anyway, just, just, just my two cents. Yeah, no, I mean, it's an interesting thing where, you know, she fills in for two years and then cashes in. She can write a book. She can go join the view. She can do, and, and, and don't, don't, I don't, I don't underestimate that point of view at all. Like certainly um, the closest parallel to me is drawn as uh, Ocasio-Cortez where that's exactly who I was thinking. She, she clearly does not like her job. And I said, you know, if you, I said back a few months ago, if you think Ocasio-Cortez is going YOLO now, wait till she's in the congressional minority, which she is now, she has no power to do anything at this point Uh, in the house. Um, and that's why I've said that she's probably going to end up resigning her seat and most likely is going to be a presidential candidate here in this election or the next one. Um, because the, you have to under, kind of understand the leftist activist based mindset, which is you really want to go there to disrupt things, to change things, to at least look like you're still an activist. Well, once you you neuter all of that, you're just you you still you just show up to work and sit in your office and then you go to committee and you you do your sound bites. And you try to get on cable news and you try to get your, but you don't really have any power. And so to me, I can see Ocasio-Cortez going that route here where it's just like, I'm done. I can't do this. I I have, you know, an image now and I have an audience and now I can go do whatever I want. I can go write books. I can go do these things. And as I said, you know, Ocasio-Cortez's mentor is Bernie Sanders, but Bernie Sanders is a senator. There's talk that, you know, Ocasio-Cortez might challenge Schumer. Um, or even Maloney here in the near future in New York for a Senate seat. I could see that one too, but I think she has her eyes on bigger things and she, and she said as much in interviews. And so I can definitely see that where, you know, you go in and you fill a seat for two years. Mind you, she, if she fills that seat, she's in the majority. So it's not like she's just a pretty face in that seat. She's, she's going to have real majority power. Um, and then after two years, it's like, fuck it. I'm, I can, I can either stay in this job. I can run for Senate um, she can't be president yet. Um, or 
maybe then she just says, fuck this, I'm done, I'm cashing out, I'm going to go, again, like you said, join The View, write a book, do a speaking tour, get an MSNBC show, which I can, uh, trust me, 100%, I can see, like, MSNBC hiring her as, like, a whatever. And so I can definitely see that. I would say, you know, my only my only quibble is do not underestimate the amount of power someone can wield in the U.S. Senate and, and how addictive that can be, especially when you would assume and I get this is all speculation, but you would assume if she filled a seat, it's going to be the same people in the office. It's still going to be Adam Gentleson, who is Harry Reid's number one former rat fucker. Um, and they're just going to be the ones telling her what to do. And so I just go out there and talk and whatever. And she'll, of course, be beyond criticism because any criticism of her, you're actually attacking her mentally retarded husband also. And that's how that's going to go. And so um, I agree when it comes to the whisper campaigns, she would automatically just be completely revolting and people in Washington just be like, Oh God. Um, but the media is a different animal and the media looks at her and they have stars in their eyes because that's just what they. Fair enough. All right. I'll let, uh, I'll let you close out with the other two. Have Thanks, Craig. Good info. Thanks for that. Speaking of, I, I now I have to remember to ban, unban the other Craig. Julia, thanks for waiting. We'll wrap up with you and Bruce. Go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Um, apologies in advance. I've had a few cocktails. Oh, good. So <laughs> it's also been a complete sausage fest until now, so you're going to be pretty popular. True. Um, yeah, it's been a long week, but also a very fun week. I have to say, yesterday, I have to thank you because it was a long day. And when I turned on your podcast and heard... Angela Davis reacting to the news that she is a descendant from the pilgrims on the Mayflower. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah. I don't, I don't honestly know, <laughs> know how like, um, the Babylon bee is still in business with all the stuff that's been coming out this week that, and then, uh, the Sam, is it Brenton, Britain? Uh, yeah, Sam Sam Brinton, the uh, the yeah, luggage the, thief, the suitcase klepto. I get him confused with Sam Smith because they dress <laughs> the same. But... Sam Brinton is the thin one. Yes, but yes, Sam Smith the is the one with his hair. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but the Sam Smith thing is so fascinating to me because it's so contrived. When when Sam Smith came out it was what five six seven years ago, and he had the "Stay with Me" song he was like doing a George Michael act. It was kind of like he was the next George Michael kind of thing where he wasn't being, he was just obvious. I mean, obviously when you hear him in interviews and time, then he's on the with his boyfriend. It's like, Oh, he's gay. Okay, cool. Whatever. And then he does the uh, stay with me song and he gets sued into oblivion over not only that song, but sampling other songs. And what's funny is, is this whole, you know, chubby cubby bear latex satan thing it's so contrived it's just so just sam this is how you need to reinvent yourself you need to go out and shock people that's the only way people are going to remember that you basically went bankrupt because you got sued for your music which you didn't write we wrote it for you but damn we should have been more careful with those samples um and it's, that's just how I look at it. It's not even shock value at this point. And it's, I talked a little bit about it on the podcast, but it's like clearly what they're trying to do is shock value. The problem with this is when you're just doing what parents are seeing in their fourth grade classroom, you're going to lose. Okay. So what you're doing isn't really shocking. 
And it's one of those things where I wish, again, the political right wouldn't take the bait on. You just kind of go, oh, that's that's what you're doing. OK, cool. Um, but the Sam Smith thing is so funny to me because it's just so obviously contrived. It was something that they came up with with image consultants. And it's like, go go out there and be, you know, the, the cubby bear uh, gay trans icon, whatever. And they went, OK, let's do that. And it's it's similar to like Burger King doing the Pride Month rappers. Like, hey, we're a woke corporation, but what we're feeding you is going to kill you. And it's the same thing, in my opinion. Sorry, I kind of want No, I, I think you make a good point. Like, there is no shock value anymore. You know, like, I, I just can't get exercised about any of this. I thought, like, the Balenciaga scandal was actually, like, interesting because it was just so, like so many layers to it, you know, with that artist, with the weird, like, blood-covered children, but, like, but, no, I mean, if you've, like, go back to, you know, like, what you always mentioned, Marilyn Manson, and the Tipper Gore thing, you know, there's just, it's so, I'm so tired, like, there's nothing, it's just completely unremarkable these days when people try to be shocking like if you want to be shocking these days you know put out a gospel album like kanye you know like but <laughs> let's, let's, let's pump the brakes on the kanye talk i'm already gonna no, have enough of that let's yeah i won't go into that i'm just saying like everything is so unremarkable now and all these celebrities coming out as trans and non-binary and like do whatever you want. Like, I really don't know a conservative who actually cares about that kind of stuff. Like, that was kind of the early 2000s type of mentality. I mean, it's this, this, this stuff with like Sam Smith. It's just like it's it's no different than trying to get rage clicks for, you know, your tweets or your your journalist pieces. You're just you're basically your whole existence is to um, make people who don't like you angry. And that's not I mean, there there's there's definitely an aspect of music that has always kind of been like that. But again, this was so contrived because he clearly you you could see like the image consultants from the record label. You could see their fingerprints all over what he's doing. Like they're just saying, "Hey, go! You're going to go out there, and you're gonna, we're going to make you Satan, and then you're going to go out here and you know whatever." When if you were really, it's like when he walked in and said, "Okay, what's my next act?" I would have been like, "Dude, get on a treadmill. That should be your next act." Like, what happened to you? You like put on fifty pounds? Like, I didn't even really recognize him, and so I was like, "That to me would be at least more visually attractive." Okay, which is. If you want to do the latex and the Satanism stuff, don't look like Barf from. Like he's a dime store Lady Gaga. I feel like you know it's already been done before. I, I didn't even know who the guy was until about a year ago. I just I don't know. I don't pay attention that much, but um, I don't know. It's funny, but the whole J.K. Rowling thing, I. I do find it fascinating. Like, I am very grateful that someone like her is sticking to her guns, you know, because, yeah, she has more money than she could ever spend in a lifetime. And, you know, I was about seven years old when, like, the second Harry Potter book came out and my mom, you know, would read it to my brother and I. And I kind of grew up with 
Harry, you know, by the time the last book came out, I was about 17 or 18. Like, I finally caught up to his age. And it's funny because, like, you know, the books came out and ended. And then I just, the movies came out. And um, I don't know. It's just funny. Like, because then I heard, I can't remember who it was who first said this. But, like, they were making fun of, like, kind of liberal journo types who were, like, would talk about their... Harry Potter, their like Hogwarts house and stuff, and I I didn't understand. Like I didn't know that was a thing where people were still obsessed with it. And then it's just so funny to see because it was just a few years ago. I like when Trump was in office, and I think John Don Jr. did some tweet about like Halloween candy and how something about socialism. Um, and she like clapped back to him and they were all like applauding her on Twitter, you know, cause she was the foil for Trump and now everything is completely changed. And I just think, you know, like she's not a transphobe obviously, but she just actually, you know, it's just weird to see, like, where are the feminists? Because I would never consider myself a feminist, but what? I think a lot of them are, uh, like, too afraid to speak up for, you know, having women's spaces and things like that. And I, I, I've thought for a while, you know, it's kind of fun to see the crazy trans radicals fight the radical feminists, but I think that things... I don't know. I just think a year from now, like we're going to have more people um, willing to stick their neck out because of her. And um, I don't agree with her probably on anything politically, but um, I just think she's kind of one of those figures right now that I equate with like Elon Musk, who, and I totally agree with you on your kind of warnings against a lot of right-wingers, like, don't put all your eggs in this basket. You know, this guy is not a conservative. You don't, like, don't look at him like a hero. You know, he's being good on, you know, sticking up for free speech, even if it's imperfectly. But you can admire that, but while still not just jumping on a bandwagon like like he's our savior. And that's how I kind of see J.K. Rowling right now. Um, you know, where we can admire her for some things, but don't, don't like elevate her to the point where you think she's like a conservative icon, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, my interesting thought and thanks, Julia, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and bump Bruce up, but, um, those are good things. The thing that's interesting about JK Rowling, Harry Potter rather, is that when her books came out, there was like conservatives wanting to ban her books out of school libraries because of witchcraft and whatever. And it took like seven, eight, nine years for the, uh, the culture to shift to where now you have people on the right kind of going, well, no, she's, she's not, she's not a transphobe. She just believes in, you know, biological women and that there are unique traits and there are unique features that make somebody female. And that's not anti-trans. I think that that's the biggest mistake the trans activist community has made. I think it's their biggest miscalculation in this whole thing, which is 
when feminists on the left say, you know, hey, hold on, but you're not actually a woman here. That, like feminism has been around for, you know, hundreds of years going back to the suffragists and all of this stuff. And that, you know, there is a distinct difference between what a woman and a feminist is and what a trans woman is. And the biggest mistake, in my opinion, that the trans activist community made is they said, well, no, you're not. You're a bigot because those are actually probably your biggest allies. When it comes to this debate, you know, progressive women are probably like your biggest allies. And eventually they're going to get to the point where it's like, hey, why is that dude beating the shit out of my daughter uh, at softball or whatever it is? Um, But the interesting thing to me with J.K. Rowling is that when Harry Potter first came out, there was, you know, conservatives were like, get her books out of the library of public schools because it's about witchcraft and it's heathenism. And now it's, you know, get her books out of public libraries because she's a transphobe. So um, good thoughts on that. Thanks, Julia. Enjoy your Friday night. Bruce, bring us home. Finish us up. Uh, hey, uh, so family just got home. So this I'll, I'll make this brief. I had two things. I thought of a third and then. Um, I lost are, it. So Bruce, Bruce, are you a closet call-in listener? Like you're, your family's not supposed to? No, it's just we had a uh, tragedy. Well, not a tragedy. We had a uh, mishap tonight. The cat got onto the range controls and turned on a burner. And my son and I came home from uh, eating at the new Chick-fil-A uh, that just opened up nearby. And uh, the house is filled with smoke. So I was mitigating oh, okay. the smoke. And the rest of the, the rest... The rest of the family got home. It's all under control. No, nothing burned down. Uh, everything's fine. The cat's fine. Uh, but no, I just, uh, yeah. Uh, so um, I threw it in the comments on your uh, 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 podcast today about the uh, volleyball player here in St. Louis. She was uh, in town for a tournament from uh, Tennessee. I don't know if you saw any of the news on that. Uh, I briefly, I briefly saw the uh, the comment, but I didn't read through it. But go ahead. Sure, sure, yeah. So the um, the, the guy that um, that uh, hit her, the the driver that hit her, was uh, had multiple. Um, he had the GPS tracker, ankle parole violations. He was supposed to stand trial for armed robbery last summer. It got delayed. Uh, so the Missouri Attorney General called for the, the district attorney to, to resign, and she has since. Re- uh, uh, refused to resign, and so they're starting the process to remove her. The, the mayor of St. Louis even came out and said this is inexcusable. Uh, this story, I, I put a link in there to the, uh, I think it was the Guardian or whatever. So this this is international news now, and <clears throat> unfortunately, this isn't the only woke DA story uh, in the news this week. There was the LA issue with the dead naming and and misgendering and and all that. Um, but I, it, it's just like uh, we were watching the local news tonight, the Fox two now, and it, it's just, it, it's laughable how this is being treated. It was, she was hit by a car, right? No, not, not hit by a, a, a driver. She was hit by a car and they're like this, this campaign, they're going to light up the Ferris wheel in purple for, her, uh, and th- there's a big Ferris wheel at union station in St. Louis. It's like, a, the second most common landmark behind the arch. And, you know, I, I was just like thinking, gosh, you know, we were just a, just a little bit short of a hashtag bring back our legs campaign. Uh, it's just that when when are people going to learn 
that people that are violent and do bad things belong in jail. I, I, I just, when is this going to happen? And I, I, I'm just, I'm really. Well, I, to I'm correct really you, this. first of all, prisons are a white supremacist institution that uh, have enabled white supremacy throughout the founding of our country. Of course. <laughs> that's, I mean, I, you, you joke, but that's their argument that, that that's, that's literally what the argument is. And, you know, if you if you go to abolish uh, police, I'm, I'm looking at the story now on Daily UK Mail, and I shouldn't have because now I'm just lost in the sidebar, which is how Daily UK Mail is like news crack. Um, but that's basically their argument, which is that um, prisons are a tool of an institution of white supremacy because, you know, they argue that the majority of perpetrators in prison are of a person of color. That's true in some places. It's not true in others. And, you know, basically the only way I can say is like you said, and this is insanity. The only way that you can do it is to vote them out and that's it. And St. Louis will either learn or they won't. St. Louis, I think has had, it's under single party control now for almost 60 something years. uh, The state, the state is extremely red. I'm so jealous. I live on the Illinois side. So I have, uh, you know, one of the pair of worst senators in, in the, in the nation with, with Durbin and Duckworth. And just our uh, the politics of our state are just so screwed up. But uh, yeah, I, I you know salivate at the uh, policies and that that happen in Missouri, even if they have you know ridiculous senators like Josh Hawley. But um, in general, it's a it's a very well reasoned state and all that. And I, I think this is going to happen. I think she's going to be gone. And maybe she will resign eventually when she realizes she's going to be out. But um, yeah, it just uh, it's a tragedy all around. I mean, she she wasn't even local right she was from visiting from out of state and you come and she was going to go to college to play volleyball and now she's not yeah i mean looking at this it was either i'm just scanning but it looks like she she's she's lost the use of both of her legs uh that's i'll just i'll just read this for the room so missouri ag orders woke st louis da to resign or face being fired after she freed a serial offender who struck volleyball player 17 with a car causing the youngster to lose both of her legs. Attorney General Andrew Bailey is demanding King Kim Gardner. Kim Gardner's a name that's been around before. I'm going to I'm going to have you're giving me homework for the weekend, Bruce. Step down for freeing the man who hit a teenage volleyball player Saturday. Daniel Riley was out on bond when he failed to yield and hit uh Janae Edmondson. She looks let's see here. Uh it's borderline, but she also looks to be of a person of color, just like the driver. So that, that's going to drive some outrage. Riley, 21, faced armed robbery charges in 2020 and violated his parole conditions more than 50 times. Um, this was similar to the case of the journalist that was shot in just outside of Orlando. Yep. Yep. And I mean, enough of these cases are going to come to where I just kind of say, well, um, you know, get rid of these prosecutors. And if San Fran- trust me, folks, to just kind of wrap things up for the night, if San Francisco can get rid of one, any state can get rid of one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, like I said, I think it's going to happen. I think there's going to be enough public pressure and, and that, that that it will happen. But it, it just may take a little bit of time. But yeah, anyway. OK, so so that was that. Uh, the other thing, just real quick, this is from a few days ago about the, um, you know, the whole trans and sex ed in schools and, uh, you know, the libs of TikTok showing teachers doing different stuff and laughing about like uh, kids transitioning without parents knowing and things like that. I I think there's a real simple way to 
counter this. And that's just say like, look, what if we taught Catholic dogma to third graders in school? And, you know, we're going to we're going to put them through the catechism. Every every kid, we're going to put them through it, whether the parents consent or not. And and just think about how everyone would react. And I just use Catholic dogma as an example. It could be, you know, it, it could be Islam. It could be, you know, Judaism. It could be whatever. I don't care. But just just say we're going we're going to start teaching that. We're not going to tell anybody about it. I, th- uh, I think how- I think where this where we are now is the very long bend of the road of if you were around in the mid 90s when all of the sudden the outrage over having the Ten Commandments on the wall of a classroom became a thing. It became a national news story uh, of having religious scripture on the wall of a classroom. Now, I'm not here to judge where that is or where it isn't, but you're looking at the accumulation of exactly the kind of argument you're making. That was the start of it, and now we're kind of towards the end of it. Um, I, I mean, what I don't understand is... Why, and I don't, I don't even particularly care about an, a pro or anti-LGBTQ. I, I do care about the agenda as far as it's concerned with elementary school kids. What I don't understand is why is there not a uniform uh, in school districts policy of having political symbols or flags in a classroom? And this is what I ask every single time I see, like, through lives of TikTok or whatever, the LGBTQ trans flag hanging up on the wall. And I'm like, why is that allowed? And no, it's not anti-gay and it's not anti-trans, but it's not her classroom. It's the state's classroom. She just occupies it as a teacher. And I understand teachers can, you know, they can decorate it the way they want or they can put photos. And, And I understand learning, but there should be standards with this kind of thing. Which is, that's kind of along the point you're making, is if a teacher is allowed to have a political symbol up, which it is, why are we not allowed to have, say, a crucifix on the wall? Because you could argue both are religious symbols. Um, that's what I don't understand. And that's, I, I, I don't care when Lizard TikTok shows off teachers because they're in a public classroom. I do care when you're just going after some kid's uh, TikTok, who he identifies as a green, you know, enemy mole or whatever, whatever. <laughs> right. Um, but I do, I'm, I'm kind of like, why? I understand from the teacher on up, obviously a teacher can have that kind of symbol in her classroom because the principal agrees with it or doesn't care because the school board doesn't, doesn't agree. And you just keep going up and up and up. But I'm kind of like, if we're not allowed to have religious symbols or anything of that nature, why are school districts allowed to have like that flag just hanging on the wall? No, this is not an anti-gay statement. I don't care about that. I care that this is a public facility. This is a right. public classroom. It's not your house. If you want to, if you want to fly the LGBTQ trans people of color flag out the wind on your lawn, do it. Great. That's America. More power to you. I wouldn't have a problem with you. If you were my neighbor, I wouldn't give a shit. But the fact that this is like a public classroom and you're just putting it up there, that kind of right there just shows me your intent that you're not interested in teaching the basics right off the bat. And so to your argument, you can make the same argument that if, it, if you walk in a classroom and there's a six foot tall crucifixion tro- you know, statue on the wall of Jesus hanging off the cross, you, know, you could make the same argument like, hey, what's that doing up there? 
and it's not that it shouldn't be allowed. It's just kind of like wrong place, wrong time, I guess. But that's kind of the argument you're making, which is, yeah. if you recall back in the early 90s, mid-90s, when political correctness kind of really started to you know, rear its head, that was one of the very first fights that came about. And it just came out of the blue, which was there's, uh, you know, there's a controversy of the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall of a classroom. Why are we allowing this, sir? This is not, this is not my child's religion. I'm pulling them out of this class. Well, that was heralded as, you know, bravery by our media when if a parent today walked into a classroom and said, hey, what's that fucking flag doing on the wall there? Or, you know, what's what's with the Black Lives Matter sign on the on the on the door and you pulled your kid out, that that person would be declared, you know, a uh, a bigot and a transphobe by our media. I'll give you I'll go ahead and let. Yeah. So just to wrap up on a little bit lighter note here, since we're coming into the weekend, what can you do to help my my pathetic Blackhawks uh, <laughs> fold the team, change the racist name. Um, you're probably going to get Connor Bedard. That's a good start. That's, that's a Connor McDavid generational style player. Um, it only took the Oilers, you know, three or four drafts to get where they are now uh, with right. that. So you're probably, well, I- you're probably going to get Connor Bedard. The bad news is, is you're probably still going to lose Kane and Taze uh, either this season or next season. So, right. Well, and I, what I, I, what that, I would tell I you is, happen. I think that what has I would tell you is, you had your dynasty, you yeah, had yeah. your five years there and three cups, and I know that you guys also had a pretty serious investigation. Um, so I would say enjoy that kind of three to five yep. years that you oh, yeah. that oh, you yeah. had and enjoy your Stanley Cups. And then just hunker down, as I'm doing with my Broncos, hunker down yep. for several years of pain and just yep. enjoy what you have. Yep. Yep. Appreciate it. I just don't Have you considered replacing your gas stove? Uh, it, it, it is actually a, an electric cooktop. There was a pot that was sitting on it that had some water in it from something at lunch, and it boiled over and... Uh, I don't know what else might have been in it or whatever, but it smoked up the entire upstairs, so... No, no gas stove. Who was gas stove? We might have been might have been in much worse shape. <laughs> You're killing the planet, Bruce. Right. <clears throat> well, so. I, have, I have gas in the house. I have gas uh, furnaces, but I just make sure you keep the cat away from those things. Did we lose him? I think we. I think. I think Bruce's house just. Oh my! Uh, no, my. Oh, there uh, is. Siri came on momentarily. Oh, okay. So yeah, have right. a good night. Thanks. Thanks, Bruce. The, we, we're always wrapping up with some fun stories here. Not fun. Not great, super. And I hope that Andrew got all that stuff worked out. Um, this was a good one tonight for a Friday night. Uh, this is episode eighty-eight, stolen velour, valor, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, just kind of wrapping up the week. Um, thanks again to my callers. Thanks to all of you guys. Uh, I see familiar faces back there and also some newbies. And uh, I need to go figure out a way to unban whoever had their car window down now because now I feel bad. So uh, thanks again, everyone. I will be back on Substack Tuesday. Feel free to leave your comments and questions uh, in the Subber Chat AMA. Uh, I still check those regularly. Um, I'm probably going to have my Twitter account banned tomorrow because there's probably going to be some shit going down. So this was all nice knowing you. Um, (laughs) uh, So again, thanks to my callers. Thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, I'll probably be back here perhaps maybe Monday. My hockey season starts. I didn't fire my goalie. I just hired a second one. So thank you, Bo Adams. Good night, Kanye. Um, I will see you guys back on Substack uh, 